My conversation today is with Kyle Wilkham. Kyle is an entrepreneur, the founder of Action Packed Leadership, and a three times best selling author. From starting a viral comedic rap group to walking onto the Marquette University basketball team, Kyle uses his unique stories and leadership expertise to inspire students across the country to take action and become the best version of themselves. Kyle is also the founder of Teaching You Money, which is used to empower people to better understand and manage their finances. I met Kyle when I was a high school student and heard him speak at multiple DECA and FCCLA events. And there was just something about Kyle's message that really stood out to me. And it, it genuinely created this lasting spark for me to take action on the things that I knew that I wanted to do. So I'm very excited to have Kyle back on here. I know we've stayed a little bit in touch throughout the years, but I'm super excited for you to join me. Kyle, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. I think the first time we actually met, and I remember this, and I don't expect you to remember it. I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school at an FCCLA conference. And I had actually come up to you after you got done speaking about action. And I was actually working on writing a book in secret. I was curious about whether you went the self-publishing route or whether you went the traditional publishing route. And so I was curious about what route you would recommend and really just any advice that you had, because I mean, it's, it's not super common to run across people who write books and I really wanted to hear your advice. And so one, one unique thing that we have in common is that we both wrote books when we were students for other students as well. First of all, do you remember when, do you remember when I came up to that one time? Well, now that you're saying it, yes, especially because you actually did it because I have so many students come up to me and say they're going to, um, and, and the fact that you actually came out with it, I had this surge of like pride of like, this is amazing. This person who came up to me, spoke to me about it, like finished it because it's not just the idea, but the execution. So I remember bits and pieces of that, mostly because you you did it. You completed the book. Yeah, which is ironic because your whole talk is about like, well, one of your whole talks is about action. And I think that just really inspired me and had really helped me. And actually, before we get into some of the questions that I have for you, I would love if you could share, like, how did you go from being a student to then being a student who had written, you know, your first book to then being a professional speaker like you are now? Yeah, I feel like it is difficult to write a book, but when you're young, you're naive about it. Oh my goodness. So, yes. Okay. Sorry. I just <laughs> had to say, I completely agree. Okay. Go ahead. It is easy to just dive in, to start writing, to go, you know, go for it. And so it was funny because I started seeing all of these concepts in different books that I felt were amazing that everyone needed to hear, but were totally for the wrong audience. And for me, I had just this passion, this heart for young people, because I felt that when I was in high school, when I was growing up, I didn't hear any of this stuff. I was in high school in a small town in central Wisconsin, and either you played football or you didn't, and that was just a defining indicator of who you were as a person. No leadership skills, no personal growth. And I need to be a little cautious here because there's plenty of other things that our high school offered. Um, I was in some of them, so I can't be too critical, but very, very rarely do people write these amazing leadership books about young people and what they need to be doing at that time to really grow into who they're becoming as an adult who's going to be contributing to society and offering a lot. And I'll tell you a short story. This is actually how it came to be. I was interning at a leadership development company I was somewhere far away with my boss. His name was Matt. 
and uh, we were very, very late to the airport. And he was like, Kyle, we're going to be late. We're probably going to miss this flight, but let's, let's try, you know? And he's like, I have to return the rental car, but you go into the airport, go ahead, see if you can hold the plane for me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't hold the plane. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, just go hold the plane for me. Like, okay. And I'm, you know, junior in college. And so I run into the airport, I go through security, I get to the gate, you know, we're pretty close to the door being shut. And I run onto the plane, the plane, and I'm kind of like, hey, to the flight attendants. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I have my boss who's coming. He's, he's like right behind me. Can we hold this? Like, can we slow this down for a second? And they're like, yeah, we'll see what we can do. Go take your seat. You know, one of those like brush you off kind of moments. And then I was like, hey, how's your day going, by the way? And I felt like this was just a quick learning moment for me because I didn't do this purposefully, but we then launched into just this hilarious conversation about their day. It took the next 10, 15 minutes for them to tell me about all the crazy things that were happening through them. And then my boss comes running onto the plane and was like, thank you so much, we did it. And what then ended up happening was my boss goes, he takes his seat and uh, the flight attendant says, hey Kyle, hold on one second. We actually have one space available in first class and your boss is supposed to get it because he's on the upgrade list, but we thought it would be really funny if we gave it to you instead. I was like, you know what? That would be really funny. So I go, I sit in first class, end up sitting next to this guy who ends up recommending these two books to me that kind of changed my life um, and the trajectory of it. And while they were amazing books, I had this deep-seated feeling that they were meant for the wrong people. And I read these books and was like, this is awesome, but someone should write this for a younger demographic. And when I got off that plane and when I read these books and when I moved forward in my life, like I slowly started to realize that that someone should probably be me. And I took action on it. And I wrote my first book as a senior in college and the leadership development company I was interning for ended up publishing my book and putting it out there for me. So that's the, the long and short of it. Okay, first question. Did you tell your boss that he was supposed to be the one that was upgraded? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I rubbed it in. I think the flight attendants rubbed it in. I was sending him free stuff back. I was like, hey, I'm going to order this because it's free in first class, but I'm going to just go ahead and pass it along to my boss back there and in economy, you know. Um, I thought it was really, really a hilarious thing to do. I wouldn't recommend it for most people who have bosses out there, but um, I had a pretty good relationship with this boss, so I felt pretty comfortable doing that. Yeah. That person then that recommended you those books, did you reach out back to him and tell him that, about the impact that he made on you? Yeah, I did. And it's funny because he sent the shortest email ever uh, back, and then we never spoke again. And all he said to me was, Kyle, your parents must be extremely proud. And that was it. And that was the last communication we ever had. And that's fine because I think some people come into your life for really specific and interesting reasons. And that was the case with this person on the airplane who kind of inspired the very start of me writing books. Isn't that so crazy how like you've probably had so many of those impacts on other people that you have no idea about, right? Like the impact that we have on other people without even realizing it. Cause I mean, half the time, I would say even more than half the time you have that impact and that person doesn't reach out and say, Hey, by the way, you changed my life. Or by the way, you 
you made this happen, which made this happen. And even like with what you did with me and just having that conversation definitely had that ripple effect too. So it's crazy to think like how those situations happen without us even realizing it. Unbelievable. I, I tell people often that nothing happens unless something moves, meaning that if we want something to happen, we have to move, we have to take action. But what we aren't realizing is that our actions are most often creating ripple effects that we will never see the end of. That if you stood at the edge of a very large, very serene lake and you threw a rock into the middle, like it's going to create ripple effects that are going to go all the way to the other shore. And I think that's a lot of times what our actions are doing, whether we recognize that that's happening or not. And that's just one rock, right? Like that's just one of the, I know. One of the that's actions. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's so funny. My, my college roommates always gave me a hard time because I would often say that um, ideas are like a sprinkler. Like you, you need to throw them out there because you never know where the grass is going to grow. And they would give me a hard time and say, the problem is, Kyle, your sprinkler is in a parking lot. And (laughs) um, but I think that that's the same with our actions that, you know, like you made a great point. That's one rock. What if what if we're we're tossing them out there? What if we're skipping rocks all day long and creating ripple effects in people's lives? I just think that that's an amazing way to live, um, but also to maybe be conscious of the way that we're living. Definitely. You said something in the beginning that I kind of almost freaked out about because I was something that I wanted to talk to you about. Do you remember, do you remember what it was? It was just like five minutes ago. What did I say? It was right <laughs> after that. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Yes. I know. <laughs> and it was that you were saying how writing a book when you're younger is almost easier. And that at least that's the way that I interpreted it. Because one thing that I realized when I had written my book, and this wasn't really until after is because you publish the book, right? When you're young and everybody almost has this assumption that it was so much harder because you were younger. But what I realized after the fact is it was so much easier for the exact same reason that you said is like the naivety. And I mean, if you want to call it ignorance or or whatever you want to call it, that makes it so much easier. And I had no idea until after the fact. And I just completely, completely agree with that. Totally. I I mean, everyone always uses the phrase, you don't know what you don't know. And that's true. I mean, if you don't know that something's going to, but we're also afraid of what we don't know sometimes. And I think that that keeps us from even starting. So the fact that you started and just worked on it, you, you were doing it. I feel like you don't know what you don't know, but in the mix of taking action, it doesn't matter what you don't know. Like you're doing it, you're going for it, you're progressing and you learn along the way. Yeah. I often, I love David Goggins in some ways. David Goggins is a phenomenal ultra athlete. He has run ultra marathon, the world record for most pull-ups in a 24 hour period. Like he's just done some crazy things. And he says, we all, we all have what he calls the, uh, our governor, A car doesn't go too fast because it has a governor in it, meaning that it keeps it at certain speeds, doesn't allow it to go faster than that, or maybe the car will break down. We in our brains have a governor that keeps us from maxing out our potential, from really going for it, from really doing it, like just absolutely what can you accomplish in this world? And he just like talks about how, what happens if we shut that governor off? 
What happens if we just get rid of the voice in our head that says we can't or we won't? And one famous story about that is Jesse Itzler, who's written books, started companies, was working out with David Goggins. And he said, hey, uh, all right, what's the workout for today? And David Goggins said, all right, do as many pull-ups as you can do. And he's like, okay. So he does as many pull-ups as he can do. And he said, all right, we take five-minute break, then we're going to do that again. So they take five minutes, they do it again. You know, they, they do this about five, six times until Jesse Itzler's just dying. And he gets up there and can barely do one. You know, he's like, all right, you've reached the point where we're going to stop and we're going to stay in the gym as long as it takes for you to do a hundred more. And Jesse Isler just said, that is insanity. That's a crazy, you know, but when we just absolutely say, okay, this is how far I think I can go. And now I'm going to just push myself so far beyond that. I'm going to remove that governor in my brain, whether it's writing a book or dieting or exercise or like whatever it is, we all kind of are in a little mental battle and sometimes not knowing what's in front of us is the best thing that's possible for our future. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, right. That comes from fear, which is biological, which is trying to keep us safe. But in the same sense, we know that we live in a world where writing a book is likely not going to put us in any danger. And that is always like when people talk about the number one reason why people don't start whatever, right? Whatever you know that you need to take action on, chances are for a majority of people, that reason is fear. And I think when you have the naivety or the ignorance, it helps you because like, if you don't know that there's danger in front of you, if your brain doesn't know that, it's going to make it so much easier to take action on it. If Frodo would have known what's in front of him before heading to Mordor, would he ever have started the journey? Probably not. But we feel that way all the time with whatever is in front of us in our lives. Yeah. I think especially when it comes to anything mental, there's this feeling like the subconscious assumption that the more information that we have and the more tools we have and the more prepared we are, the higher the likelihood of success. But I think what's more important, I think what we can both agree on is that's more important than having the information and tools to be successful is action and consistency. But I, I think ironically, sometimes the more tools and information that we have, it gets in the way of that, right? Because you go into analysis paralysis, you start to experience the fear. You just realize how much more intricate things are. I'm assuming you're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? No. Oh, you don't? Oh, it's... Let's go teach got- me something on the podcast. I love it. <laughs> okay, sweet. Um, so the Dunning-Kruger effect is essentially this cognitive bias that we have where people with limited competency tend to overestimate their ability in that thing, right? So if you start any, any hobby, right? You start any hobby, chances are you're probably going to think it's a lot easier than it actually is. And then the more competent you get, the more you realize how much more intricate it is because you're it's going back to, you don't know what you don't know. So it seems like, you know, everything. Yeah, absolutely. I also think, you know, some of the brightest people that I've ever known or met or throughout history, I mean, Plato said, all that I know is that I know nothing. Ray Dalio wrote a book called Principles. He is the founder of Bridgewater, which he's one of the richest men in the world. He started an investment banking business that's huge. And this literally the start of the book principles, he said, hey, just so you know, uh, before you read this book, I am a dumb S-H-I-T and 
if you don't want to listen to me, don't <laughs> like basically. And, and it's funny because I, you know, I sometimes have to remind myself this when I see people being maybe more confident than they should be in certain topics or being led by their ego instead of a servant's heart. I think the people with a servant's heart, they, they know where they stand. They don't need to voice everything. They don't need all eyes on them at all times. Like they, they don't constantly need to be confirming that they are great or that they know everything or, you know, the people with a servant's heart are willing to learn as they go. They're willing to give their advice when they see fit. They're willing to help if a situation calls for it, but it's this, don't be stingy with your resources or your knowledge, but also don't be so forthcoming that it comes off as arrogant, egotistical, not from the right place. And so, yeah, I mean, I, that totally makes sense to me that people who don't know very much are very confident, but to be honest, that's not a bad thing. I think that's the reason why people start their own businesses or grow their own communities it's because if everyone knew the journey that was in front of them and how difficult it probably was going to be, no one would ever start. And we need people to start. The world changes because people start. I completely agree. I think with any bias, right, you could put on, especially biases with negative connotations, I might be quick to say, oh, well, why, why would we have that bias? And like, why are we built this way? But then when you kind of think about why and not that I necessarily know that that's the reason but you start to understand the benefits and the biases that might seem like they have a negative connotation because like you said if we didn't have the Dunning-Kruger effect and this is something I, I completely thought about after I had had gone through it I was like if I knew that if I did ha have it laid all in front of me exactly what you just said I don't know if I would have actually done it but yeah oh yeah people ask me a lot about my next book <laughs> people ask me after action-packed leadership and action-packed leadership became a number one bestseller on Amazon. Like it is used in leadership classes around the country. Like it is to my surprise, it has continued to be just an amazing blessing in my life. And when people ask me about my next book, I always am like, do you realize how hard it was to write my last book? <laughs> you know, like I would love to just give you more of that and another great book and just, but like, I'm now a dad and I want to be a great one. I now travel almost weekly to go speak places. Like I am very, very, very busy. And like, while I would love to put that out there, I have not started a new book because I'm still just thrilled and enthused with the one that I just wrote. I'd love to do a poll with all of the authors who like everybody who's ever written a book and see what the most common question that they get is when they write the book, because I wouldn't be surprised if that was it. The amount of times where even I get that question is always like, oh, when's your next one? I think that would probably have to be at the top. I also I wonder if that would change depending on if you asked authors from cultures like I think I think we live in a culture where it's a lot more it's always about the next thing and I wonder if there are other cultures where it isn't that way and if things would change if people I mean I'm just speculating but I yeah, would love potentially to I it could be very much a cultural thing um versus just celebrating what you've done or accomplished but it's very I've always I've personally struggled with this but I think that this is just like what I see on social media, in our current culture, 
something that's extremely difficult is just the the kind of the yin and the yang of being abundantly patient and really driven because if we're just fully content with what we have and where we are we get lackadaisical we don't want to push forward we don't want to improve but if we're pushing forward and just want to improve and grow and get somewhere else we're not living in the moment and being present and like being grateful for where we are and that has always been difficult for me but i also just see it all over the place everywhere i travel to is that it's a very difficult balance to say hey you know what i have a great life like i love my wife i have a beautiful child i've written a book that has done well i have a, an amazing career that i don't have a boss telling me what to do like all of these things and yet there are a lot of moments where like i need to say okay in spite of all of that I do need to stay driven to pursue what I'm passionate about because if I don't, I'm not making as great of an impact for others that I could. And I, I do think that's just an interesting thing that I think everyone internally maybe needs to think about is, am I either too driven or too content? And like, where could this balance maybe be moved a little bit to enhance my life so that Maybe I'm either appreciating the moment a little bit more, or maybe in the mix of my contentedness, I am pushing myself to serve my community just a little better. Yeah, I think that's a great self-reflection question too, to figure out what side you might be more on. I think I, I've thought about that and how, like what I could use to maybe get more balance. I don't know if that's what you want to call it. I think gratitude is a great way to incorporate that practice is if you find that you're so driven that you're always worried about the next thing, do you have anything that works for you to find more balance in the driven versus contentness? Yes. And oh my gosh, it, but it's crazy because I will say in the mix of this question, I don't think there's fully an answer to it. And I think it's the search for the answer that doesn't exist. That is meaningful but could also drive you crazy so i think that there's lots of things that you can do to kind of analyze or interpret like where you are and how you can improve um one would be a meditation practice for some people out there that might be prayer in a meditation practice you think about what you're grateful for very often if you're a religious individual prayer and a lot of times be thanking God for those things. And so whether it's meditation or prayer, but sitting in quiet to just really be grateful, um, whether it's just grateful in general or grateful to an external being, whichever, having a gratitude practice is, I think, really important. I think breath work is important, not in a, I need to do this like I do workouts kind of way, but in a self-awareness kind of way, meaning that if I'm not aware at times of my breath, I'm probably not using it to relieve my stress or negative energy, or my breath is working against me because it's not a thoughtful process versus my breath working for me. Quick tidbit, if anyone here is interested in breath work, um, one of the easiest ones that I recommend to people it's just called square breathing. 
you choose how many seconds you do of each, let's say four seconds of each, but if a four second inhale, four second hold, four second exhale, four second hold. It's just a way to just be very conscious of your breath and just make sure that you are being present in that moment. So gratitude exercises, meditation, breath work, and mostly what you're hearing from these types of things are things to slow down your mind. Because everything our culture is putting out there right now are things to increase the speed of our mind. And what that's really doing to us is eliminating our ability to one, focus, and two, be present in the here and now. Everything is somewhere else. Everything is happening on Twitter and then Snapchat streaks. And then we got to go to TikTok and then we got to scroll for an hour. And it's bringing us out of our human experience. And the more we can bring ourselves back to our human experience, the more we can actually be aware of where we are on this, you know, whether it's extremely driven or extremely content and just figure kind of who we are out in a way that's not too stressed and it places focus back into just this human experience we're hopefully not losing in the mix of this ever crazy world that we were creating. I think it's so interesting how the focus tends to be on how can I always be more productive and how can I make my brain go faster? Almost as if that's the solution that's going to make anything better when in reality, instead of productivity making our lives better, I think it just changes the average pace at it. And it's kind of like, are you familiar with hedonic adaptation? No, so, you're going real on the concepts. And so I'm not, I'm not a concept type author, but uh, I am very interested in it. So go ahead. Okay, good. So, I mean, very high level, like hedonic adaptation is essentially this, this concept that regardless of what positive or negative things happen in our life, we return back to a stable level of happiness. So if we get a new car, right, we, we have that initial excitement that then ultimately wears off regardless of what you get or what you achieve. I think we ultimately end up returning back to the stable level of happiness. But when we talk about, I was actually in a meeting today and we were talking about AI and how AI is going to make us so much more productive. And to a certain, I mean, that is not wrong. Like that is, that is accurate, but I think, are we really more productive if we're changing the average pace at which we're working? I mean, objectively, yes, but is it really the answer? Exactly. And and I I think a lot of these are are less like, are we more productive and more like, is it good for us? And I, I don't think we've asked that question enough. Like, is it good for our kids to be watching screens and having tablets and getting phones when they're five years old or earlier? <laughs> And just constantly being trained that this is the best way to live. Is it good for us? And honestly, I, I would actually venture to say that most people who are listening to this would say the answer to that is no. But then what do we do about it? Because I, I think that in order to build a life that we'll find fulfilling, purposeful, which I have a line in my second book that my friend gives me a hard time about always because I say, I don't want you to be happy. And it's one of those like punch you in the gut kind of moments, you know, but I go on to say at least not all the time, because I think if our, if we're striving to be happy all the time, we're removing the value 
of all of our other emotions. And it is a good thing to feel sad sometimes. It is a good thing to feel anxious or guilty or shame or like, and I'm not saying all the time, but I'm saying we need to try those things on to, so we can actually decide what we're going to wear. And so in our lives, like if we're just strappiness all the time, and if any time we're slightly uncomfortable, we're pulling our phone out or we're removing ourselves from any feeling other than happiness, we're not giving ourselves any space to grow into who we're becoming. We're not giving ourselves any increased ability to cope with what we're dealing with. And we're just consistently removing the humanness of our human experience. And I think the more we do that, the, the less we're going to experience what we're truly meant to in this world. Um, and that's, I guess, my beef, I guess, with social media. But it's not just about kids. So if you're listening to this and agreeing like, yeah, we should not be giving our kids phones at three years old and tablets and sitting them in front of screens all the time, that would build an ineffective human being. Well, then what are we doing when people are 15, 25, 35, 45, 55, 65? Because we can say this about babies, but maybe because it's us, we aren't as conscious of what it's doing every single day of our lives. So just food for thought. Well, yeah. And I think there's two things that I'm thinking about. So the first thing is the the whole human experience part is like, we're not meant to be happy all the time. And when we're constantly displacing this discomfort through whether it's scrolling on social media or, or doing any of those things, like we're not experiencing the things that we need to experience exactly what you just said. And then part of that too, is like, when we don't have discomfort and we don't have everything that contradicts happiness, there's a level of relativity that I think is necessary for us to achieve happiness. Like if we don't have any other ex emotions or experiences aside from happiness, are we ever even really going to be happy because we have nothing to relate it to, right? Like, yeah, deep and philosophical questions. If you've never experienced the rain, do you really recognize what sunshine brings to you? You know, which you and really I think, wouldn't, right? Like, objectively, yeah, like, probably you, not. You yeah. can think of it philosophically, and like, I don't like when I start to say things and they start to sound a little cheesy because it's like it almost takes away some of the validity to what you're saying. Or like when people like being motivational, for example, like there are some things that are just facts and you try to say them, but it comes off motivational, but you're like, no, if you just really think about it, it's just the way it is. And I don't yeah, want to take any yeah. of the validity, validity oh. away from it because it sounds cheesy. You know, do you ever, yeah. and to be honest, so I, I'm, I'm an author. I'm a motivational speaker. Like I travel the country. I spread messages of kindness, positivity, taking action, all of these things. But I also just want to be honest and real. And I feel like I, a lot of people ask me if I've heard different speakers or read different speakers. And most of the time, the answer is yes, once, because I, I just think that a lot of speakers remove the hard parts. Like, it's easy to be motivating when you're saying like, you can do this, you got it, this is yours, you're going to get there, you're going to take it, climb the mountain, you know, and you start to almost feel your blood start to get going a little bit like, yeah, I am going to do this. I'm going to get going. I'm going to, you know, but that is the type of motivation that I think wears off the fastest. 
like the brighter a flame burns, the faster that flame is going out. And I often tell people I would much rather put a spark in you that you then just work on and work on and work on. And you build this fire inside of you that's never going to go out. And in that sense of motivation, that's just my style. Like, I want to paint a picture that's real for you, that you understand that things might be difficult, that things might be hard, that you're not just going to get everything you dream about right when you start working towards it. Maybe you will. That would be awesome. But but for most of us, that's not how it happens. But your ability to be gritty and to persevere and to remind yourself who you are and to come back to why you're doing what you're doing, the purpose you're serving, the passion you have towards it, those types of questions are going to be the most motivating thing you can ever have. And it's not going to be like, yes, I got this today. And then the next day, Tony Robbins isn't there for you and you just quit versus okay, I'm building this fire on my own because I recognize why I'm doing it, what purpose it's serving in my life and the lives of those around me, how it's going to impact my general sense of well-being, my happiness at relatively, like you're saying, and not just like, like in contrast to my peers, you know, but like where I'm at on my journey. Like, can I feel satisfied with the progress I'm making? And when you start to build your motivation that way, it's it's much easier for it to stick around for a lot longer. Definitely. One thing that I do, and one one of the reasons why I have a challenge at the end of each of my episodes is exactly that reason, right? So it's like, how can you, how can I take action on what we're just talking about? Because when I was younger, I mean, I loved, I guess even still now, I love listening to podcasts. I love reading books, but I realized that it was never about the amount of books that I was reading that was that was helping me. It was any of the, any level of action that I was taking. Like if I just did one thing from this book that I learned, if I just did one thing that would be so much more valuable than reading 10 books and not doing anything from it. So that's ultimately why I wanted to, when I created this podcast to have a, a challenge at the end of each of the episodes that aligns with kind of the conversation that we had. So I would love if you could share a challenge. It's crazy that we're already almost to the end and very upset about it, but if yeah. you could share a challenge that could help people, something that people could do today or within the next week, that'll get them closer to what we're talking yeah. about. I would say my challenge to you today would be to make the decision every single day to make one positive difference in the life of someone else. And I think that will change some things in your life the way that you start looking for moments to help, the way that you maybe put your phone down and engage with friends or family in a better way, the maybe the way you respond to someone, less emotional, maybe more intentional. I just think it allows you to maybe own the power that you have. We all know we can't do everything. That's not the goal. But it allows you to own the power that you have to just do something and if you can do just one thing every day in the life of someone else to make them feel valued or respected or a little more human, um, I, that's my challenge for you to make one positive difference every single day in the life of someone else. Hold the door open for someone, leave someone a sticky note on their car with a compliment, you know, call a family member or send a text that says something special for someone else. Um, but just, just every single day, try your best to go out of your comfort zone 
to make one positive impact in the life of someone else. And I'll tell you what a mentor of mine once told me, um, not only will your life change, but you will change a lot of lives along the way. Thank you. One, uh, one question that I also wanted to ask too, was what was it, what were those books that that person on the plane had recommended to you? Yeah. You know, I remember one of them, but that's how time works. I do. I don't even remember the other one. Um, but one of them was called the traveler's gift and it was by Andy Andrews. Have you read it? I think you've read it. Yeah. How did, how did you know? I think because a long, long time ago, long time ago, like seven, eight years ago, I maybe mentioned it and you said, I'm going to go read that. And then I think you did. Did I tell you that so, I read it or did, again, I did, I did read it. I just, that's the crazy memory that you have. Or maybe it's just, I knew you take action on suggestions, especially in the leadership realm. So I, maybe I recommend it to you. I don't know, but I, for some reason knew that you read it. That's crazy. And and you said you didn't remember the other one too? I don't remember the other. I think it was another one by Andy Andrews. So yeah. two books by Andy Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Those ripples will still have ripples, even if you don't remember the ripples. Yeah. Well, and that's wild because the ripple effect isn't just like, Hey, I need to remember the exact specifics of this piece of it because it's what it caused me to do. And I think that's what, I don't know. I think sometimes our memories are going to fade, but our, the way we make people feel the emotional value of our interactions is not going to really fade. So Hopefully that those books and, and the interaction that I had with this person who made me feel this way. So motivated to read something new, to change people's lives, to serve others because of it, that stuck with me. And I feel like that, that motion hopefully created a lot of new ripples. Definitely. Well, it's okay. It's funny that we're talking about the ripple effect because isn't the butterfly effect also by Andy Andrews? Do you know that book? I do, but I didn't know if it was by Andy Andrews or not I have no idea maybe I'll have to take that out you if, gonna do a quick Google? I'm gonna do a quick Google uh, I don't need to do a quick Google it's that little one right I don't know wait you're saying the butterfly effect yeah the butterfly effect it is by Andy Andrews you're you're killing it you're so on what point if, what if that was the <laughs> other book that you read and you didn't know. It was not. I know. Okay. No, I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. That would have <laughs> yeah, been. I figured amazing. you would have read the other one. Has, the other one had the number seven in it, so it was something about like mastering the seven principles or something like that. The traveler's gift pushed forward five or seven principles, and I think there was a book that expanded on them that he wrote to help you really get them and ingrain them in who you are and who you're becoming. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. now that's, that's a fun little challenge for me to go figure out. And now I've done just amazing marketing for Andy Andrews, like incredible. Like everybody's going to go buy his book. Keep in mind that there are two authors also on this podcast that you can support. <laughs> Christina's book is amazing. Um, and hopefully you'd find value in my books as well. Definitely. Just to do a little self shameless self-promotion. I actually thought yeah. about this question when you were talking about like naivety and ignorance and how it was so easy to write a book when we were younger. What was the easiest book that you wrote? Was it the first book? Oh, it was, well, no, it was definitely the first one. Yeah. Um, the shortest book I wrote was the second one. 
And that was purposeful. I met so many people. Yeah, it's right there, the thinking dilemma. Um, I met so many people, especially young people who say all the time, and I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times, I'm not really a reader. And I just think like that in itself is such a, just a pervasive thought throughout the entire United States. I'm not gonna speak beyond that, but that just people don't describe themselves as readers. I do think we could go on just a huge, just tangent about our lost focus due to social media and our devices. And it's really hard to get into long form reading at this point in our culture, but we don't have to dive into that. Um, but I wrote The Thinking Dilemma for those who are not readers. It has huge font. The font switches. It catches your attention in different ways in different areas. It's short. You could probably read it in 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and it's just all of the very important thoughts that I felt people should know about who they're becoming as individuals, either consciously or subconsciously. And I do think actually a lot of young people have read this book because um, it's enticing in that way to say, I can read this in a half hour versus action-packed leadership, which is much deeper, delves into a lot of leadership topics that are very um, much more curriculum-based. If you had a leadership class, you could action-packed leadership. I would not recommend the thinking dilemma. Definitely. Well, it's funny you say the thing about people, how common it is for people to say, oh, I'm not a reader. I don't think I read a full book until my freshman or sophomore year. No, probably my sophomore year of high school. And then I wrote a book my my senior year of high school. And I think there's something so <laughs> true about figuring out the types of books that you like to read. Like when we were assigned books in English class and whenever we were assigned books in school, I never read the whole thing. Like I probably, I probably shouldn't be saying that, but I, I never did. And I thought it was because I hated reading but it had nothing to do with my hate, hate. I didn't have, I hate is a strong word. It had nothing to do with me not liking reading. It had everything with, to do with the types of books that I was reading. And going back to what you were talking about in the beginning is that there aren't really those leadership concepts. And that was really what I was super interested in leadership and psychology and yeah. business. And I mean, when you're told to read like, uh, Huckleberry Finn, right? That's a book. Gosh, I don't even remember what they were that they that they told us yes. to read. But uh, yeah, when you're taught to read those kinds of books, I thought I I thought I didn't like reading, but I just was reading the wrong things. And that's why I think, you know, it's so great that you've written your books with with the high school student in mind, with that demographic in mind. I'll definitely be sure to put those in the description so people can go and check those out where yeah. where else or I guess what other resources might you have or where else can people find you if they want to learn more from you yeah we didn't even talk well, about teaching you money yeah I know um we'll have to do another podcast episode at some point yeah and, and so my favorite movie of all time is Goodwill Hunting and my favorite actor of all time is Matt Damon I will see anything that he's in I just it's he's awesome so in the movie Goodwill Hunting he says you're reading the wrong, I'll remove the expletives. You're reading the wrong books. And I, I think that uh, in some ways that's true today, that if you're not enjoying books, you're reading the wrong books. But I, I think the other side of that coin is that um, attention spans are getting shorter and our focus is being pulled from us by social media. And not not I don't say that in a way that like, 
if it just wasn't happening, I mean that there are big companies that are trying their best to get our attention. So we're working against that every second of every day. Um, it's difficult to read a book at this point, but if you find the right books, it gets a little bit easier. People can find me on social media. Uh, Kyle Wilcom is my name. I don't post all that often. So I often tell people, don't follow me if you don't want to. My job is not to gain followers. My job is to create new leaders. And so the hope is that you listening to this podcast was enough that um, you'll follow Christina and listen to more of her podcasts. And hopefully that will be enticing. If you'd like me to come and speak somewhere, kylewelcome.com would be the way to get a hold of me. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for, for the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was really fun.